Okay, we're going to get started with our TMT. And if you don't know what a TMT is, it's a two-minute teaching, training. Uh, we still can't figure out what the last T is, but it's a travels or missions reports, those kinds of things. And I've got great news again for you today. We're going to hear from Emily Wazorek, uh, USF student. And one thing you're going to notice a lot in Life Church is that God is answering our prayers. What we just prayed about just a few minutes ago, God's actually answering that with people in our congregation. So we have lots of gospel goodbyes these days where we were blessing people and they're going other places and we're sending people out all around the globe. And Emily's got a unique opportunity that she's going to talk to you about coming up this summer. Um, but just amazing person and doing some amazing things on campus. So here's Emily. Like you said, my name is Emily. I'm a junior at USF, and I've been coming to life for almost three years. Um, this summer, I have the opportunity to go to Uganda with Aswan Ministries for an internship. Um, I'm going to be a science teacher, so I'll be doing a lot of work with education, so working with the teachers, working with their scholars, which is their sponsor kids, and then also working with the teams of, like, groups from America that are coming over. So two specific ways that you can be praying for me are preparing like devotionals and lessons for um, the groups that are coming over and then for the scholar families and their scholars in general. And then also there's a potential second half of the trip where I would be going to Ethiopia. Ethiopia to visit my sponsor child with Adam's Thermal Foundation. Um, so there's a lot of unsureness with that and just praying that all of that works out or it doesn't um, and that I know which direction to go. And then obviously fundraising is always a thing. So, yes. Awesome. Thank you, Emily. And, and hey, this is really cool. Uh, we all get the opportunity to be a part of this as well. And number one, she mentioned by praying, but also by giving. And uh, one of the things that we like to uh, say around Life Church, it doesn't always matter um, where you're going um, or what, what kind of project you're doing, but that you get used to saying yes to Jesus. And that's what Pastor Bill and I get so excited about with these college students is that they're taking a whole summer that they would normally spend making money and paying off tuition or whatever they're doing and just giving that to the Lord a really important window of time. They're just saying yes to Jesus and giving that to the Lord. And so it really, it, it matters some, but in, in the long scheme of things, it doesn't matter so much. What matters is that you get used to saying yes to Jesus, that you have a great big yes in your heart for Jesus. And that's what we want to encourage. That's what we want to support. So if you can give to her, you can give right through Life Church. Just put a sticky note on your check, Emily, Uganda, something like that. And then we will get those funds to her. We don't have time to do like a luncheon after church anymore. But we want to make sure that she feels our support and our prayers always are felt better with some money. So let's give to her, let's bless her, and let's pray for her as she goes, all right? All right? Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God. Uh, we are in the Old Testament today. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be um, an a ESV on the back there. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that home with you today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings towards the beginning of the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And then we're really excited because Nathan's going to come and preach the word to you. He's got a word on his heart for you today. I'm really excited to hear from him. So let's read 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. 
Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. This is God's word. Well, good morning, Life Church. It is such an honor to be preaching here. I treasure our pastors. They are such gifted preachers. And so it is a great honor to speak to you out of God's word. It's an even greater joy to preach to you in this season of celebration as we're seeing so much restoration. And you got to hear it in these announcements. And I think there's a very timely word from God's word today. And the word is this. God restores the things that are lost. I can appreciate this because earlier this year, my laptop blew up. And I mean, it blew up. So what what was going on is that Christina was out for a while, and uh, I was in bed. It was late, 10, 10 and I was watching a pretty sophisticated documentary called The Breakfast Club, and, (laughs) and I heard this pop, loud pop noise, and my dog... Finn runs in. She looks really scared. I'm like, oh, Finny, what happened? Did you know, something scare you? Because, you know, she's clumsy. She, she knocks over things. Um, but then I hear it even louder. Pop! And so I do the natural thing, and I grab my shotgun. <laughs> and, and I walk into this dark room, and I flip on the light, and I see my laptop, which is gushing smoke. And there it is on the ground on the, on the area where gushing smoke. And I put down my shotgun, and I unplug it, and I run it out to the back deck, and I and I throw it out in the back deck into some uh, fresh snow. And then I uh, go back and I look at the area rug to make sure there's nothing burning still. And sure enough, it's hot, but I put a wet cloth on it. And then I hear a bang. And I run out to, to the back deck, and the laptop is on fire. <laughs> like, not, not figuratively, literally on fire, flames coming up. And so I do the natural thing, and I run for my phone to get a video. <laughs> And then I think better, and so I go and I get a pot of water, which is not a good idea. You don't throw water on an electrical fire. I know, now. But I throw all this water on the fire. Fortunately, it goes out. But actually, I have it, too. If you don't believe me, here is my laptop, or what used to be a laptop. And apparently, this doesn't really happen all that often. It's a handful of cases. But now I'm an internet sensation because I have the laptop that actually caught on fire. And, you know, here they are, the cells, six-cell battery. You can see what a cell is. So you can check that out afterwards. And here's the deal. It's, it's a loss for me 
People ask, did you lose all this data? And I'm like, well, no, I mean, I transferred a lot of it beforehand. But I did lose something. I lost my beloved laptop. It was a battery failure, turns out. Bought a new battery. So um, working that out with the company right now. It's not happy. Um, but I lost the laptop, obviously. And, and I lost some other things, you know, some pretty important things, pictures of my kids, videos of my kids, my high scores in Civilization IV. I mean, these things are meaningful to me. <laughs> and I'm struggling a bit with it, knowing that they really, are, they really are gone. But here's the thing. I believe in a God who restores. God restores the things that are lost. And I don't want to claim this in a flippant way. It's the season of Easter, and so I mean to talk to you about the Christian hope today, about the end time, about the afterlife, if you will, and how God restores. Good things await the faithful, and so I again want to say to you, God restores the things that are lost. In fact, would you say that with me? God restores the things that are lost. But I want to start in that unconventional place out of 2 Kings chapter 8. So I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you have one. 2 Kings 8, 1 through 6. Pastor Dave read that. But let's go ahead and walk through this story a little bit. This is one of those stories that I'm like, wait, that's in the Bible? I'd forgotten. Yeah, but there it was. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, arise and depart with your household. Now, the background story is this. Elisha is a great prophet, one of the, perhaps the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was the disciple of Elijah, and he is a double portion of the Spirit. And the background story to this story is found in chapter 4. I'd encourage you to read it later. In chapter 4, we hear about an older, wealthy woman from Shunem, which is southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And she was providing generous support to Elisha, the prophet. Elisha promised her she would have a son in her old age. And this turned out to be true. The miracle happened, and she gave birth to a boy, and the boy grew up, and then something awful happens. The boy mysteriously dies. And Elisha has to come back and raise the boy from the dead. The boy is dead, dead. But Elisha comes back and raises him back to life. And it's one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. That sort of thing doesn't just happen. God restores the things that are lost. That is already this woman's story. It's already the story of this family. But now in chapter 8, Elisha gives the Shunammite woman a rather difficult message. Again, verse 2. Um, I'm sorry, a 1B. Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years. The same prophet who had told the boy to rise from the dead now tells the mother to rise and leave her property. Have you ever received a word from the Lord that's like that? You know, you're praying, that's a hard answer in prayer. You're praying to the Lord, and the Lord says, buckle up, it's about to get hard. Have any of you experienced seven hard years in a row? <laughs> I know some of you have. I've talked with some of you. you isn't, we're not talking a bad day, or a bad month, a bad year. We're talking seven hard years. You've struggled with sorrow, with loss, with addiction, with depression, all sorts of things. Seven years. 
Some of you have had years of misfortune, of bad health, a broken relationship. Maybe you're stuck in a terrible job, or you file for bankruptcy and have to start over financially, or you've lost someone in your life, or you've lost a marriage. That can be seven years of sorrow. Well, this woman is told that's what's going to happen. Seven years, and you have to sojourn in the land of the Philistines. Of all places, the land of the Philistines. These Gentiles, these enemies. And what faith this woman must have had, because she is a wealthier woman who has an estate. She has a lot to lose. And you know what happens. When things get hard and things get painful, you tend to do what? You tend to pull back to your safe place. But she's told to leave her safe place. And she believes Elisha. She believes that the prophet, and indeed God, they have good plans. And she ends up going on the road. And this is a huge risk. It was even a bigger risk back then, being a refugee, being a woman. At least when she comes back, her husband's not alive. So now she's a widow on the road. To go on the road meant great risk, but to stay would mean misery and starvation. She is going to have to trust that the Lord is doing this for her good. And there's a message here for us already. God will sometimes send you into places you don't want to go, but it is for your good. And some of you need to hear that this morning. It is for your good. God loves you, but that doesn't mean he ever guaranteed you an easy life in this life. Indeed, Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this life you will have trouble. Sometimes God will even allow you to go into exile either figuratively or literally speaking. You will face difficult circumstances, and you may have to walk through difficult places, even the valley of the shadow of death. But you know that God is sending you these places with his providence. It's a word we don't hear a whole lot anymore. It was a more popular word uh, in previous centuries. Providence. It's the idea that God provides for us. He gives us provision. That's providence. His providence will be there for you because your story is not about death. Again, your story is not about death. It's about life, right? I'm so glad we never call this church Death Church. I mean, that's hard to market in the first place, but our story is not about death. It is about life. Your story is about resurrection, right? You're an Easter people. You were baptized into Jesus. You died with Jesus. You rose from the dead. You're an Easter people. You're about resurrection. You're about life. So why are you letting people define you as a people of death? The Shunammite woman's story is always about resurrection. Her son was raised from the dead. She has resurrection written all over her story. She believes in the God of resurrection. The God of resurrection may allow hardship, but he does not forget his promise of restoration. Why? Because God restores the things that are lost. Look at verse 3. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha is done. So this woman comes back to Jerusalem, and it appears that she's lost everything. 
Being gone seven years, she's abandoned her property, and it's been seized. And it's unclear whether it's the king, King Joram, who has seized it, or somebody else. But her property is no longer her own. And this is a bad situation. Now she's going to have to go back and fight for it. She's going to have to argue for this legally. Because they've changed the locks on her, it appears. But when she goes back into Jerusalem, it says the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And Gehazi is... Uh, the servant um, of, of Elisha. And this Gehazi is talking to the king because the king wants to know the great stories about Elisha. And you can imagine why the king wants to hear the great stories because there's been seven years of famine. And if you go into Second Kings, you realize there's all, all sorts of wars and political instability. These, are, these have been a hard seven years. And so the king is like, hey, tell me some good news here. Tell me stories about Elisha. And Elisha says, oh, I got a doozy for you. Let me tell you about the Shunammite woman and her son who was raised from the dead. And so he is telling this story to the king. Stories are really important, aren't they? They hold us together during difficult times. Recently, I was reading an article from a psychologist who was recommending to parents that when you talk to your kids, tell them stories. And don't just candy coat the stories. Tell them real stories about your hard past about the hard past of the family. Say things like this. Yeah, you know, we struggled financially for that stretch. But you know what? We survived. We made it. Or you know what? Yeah, we lost our uncle in a car crash. But you know what? We survived. We made it. We rebounded. Um, and God has blessed us with a new family. Tell people these stories. Tell your kids these stories because it will build resilience in them. So when they face hardship, they know they're part of a story that ends out Good in the end. They can go through that valley. Does that make sense? Well, if that's true out there in the world, how much truer is it in the kingdom of God? We have to tell each other stories, don't we? Because we forget. I forget all the time how good God is. And then you tell me stories about what God is doing in your lives. And then I go, oh, yeah, of course. That's the God we worship. We have to do more TMTs, more testimonies, more travel reports. We need all this stuff because this is what encourages us. That's why you have to come to church. And I know I'm preaching to the people who are at church today, but you have to come to church because you need to hear this. We remind each other of God's great deeds, and we keep on preaching the gospel of the resurrection. And then in verse 5, here's some brilliant timing on God's part. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. That's good timing. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, here's the woman. And here's her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. This is a beautiful thing. Seven years she's gone, she comes back in, but God's providence has timed this. This is the exact moment she needs to report in, and this is the exact moment when things are going to be restored to her. It's not because she's a brilliant speaker that all this is going to be restored. It's because she already has an intercessor. This is important. She comes into the, the king's chamber, and the king is already having somebody talking to him. There is an intercessor. Intercessor is the Christian word that we use for somebody who prays for somebody else or speaks on behalf of somebody else. 
And I know this is really important now because I've gone into business for myself and I'm a consultant. And when I go and I talk to people and they don't know that I'm coming and I have to cold call, I have to go in, how do you think it goes? It doesn't matter what I say. They just don't trust me. I don't have an intercessor. But when I have somebody who vouches for me or who sends a quick email beforehand and says, hey, Nathan's coming, he can talk to you, you should listen to him, it's a whole different story. They listen to me, they welcome me in, they, they, they serve me coffee, and, and I'm a friend all of a sudden. An intercessor is everything. Gehazi does this for the Shunammite woman. And in this regard, Gehazi is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the, at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's Romans 8.34. He is right now interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers and sisters, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. Have you ever noticed that when we pray, we always end with in Jesus' name? Why do we do this? We pray in Jesus' name because if you come to the Father in somebody else's name, he's not going to listen. If I can be totally stark about this. Do not come in somebody else's name. Do not come before the Father in your own name. Do not come before the Father in the name of Mary or in the name of St. Patrick or anybody else's name because the Father is not going to listen. I believe there are all sorts of prayers that bounce off the, the, the floor of heaven because they're not prayed in Jesus' name. And I'm not talking about a magical incantation here. I'm saying when you bring a message to God, bring it in the name of the Son of God. Because he is the intercessor. God has established no other mediator, no other intercessor who is supposed to bring the prayers that we offer before the throne of grace. Jesus alone. There needs to be an intercessor, the right intercessor, the right middleman, the person who goes to bat for another, a messenger who validates the relationship. And this is Jesus. Sometimes prayer really seems unglamorous, doesn't it? But Jesus takes that unglamorous prayer and he brings it before God the Father. And it's like Jesus is saying every single time, Father, listen to this one. Listen to this prayer. Because I know this person. I know him. I know her. I vouch for this person. Well, this is what happens when the Shunammite woman comes before the king. She has cred. And then she explains this. And then back in verse 6. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Restore it. Restore all of it. Why? Because this is the resurrection woman. She came back. The resurrection woman. Of course, restore her property. Of course, give her everything she needs and more. This is the day of restoration, the king says. And notice what he restores. He doesn't just restore the deed to her house. He actually gives her all the produce of that seven years she was gone. She didn't really work for it, but there it is. That is extravagant grace. And that's the kind of restoration you get when you serve the resurrection God. Why? Because God restores the things that are lost. Now, I first just want to pause and give thanks to God because we have this testimony. We have this woman and her son who received this miracle. 
And God's constant faithfulness through trouble shines through her story. But while I got you here, let me uh, do a little bit of theology. I'm sorry, I've got to be professor here for a second. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of theology here. Let's not just take the story and walk away feeling good, although we should. But there's more than that. We, we, this is a reminder. The Old Testament is a constant reminder of what we believe, of the great forms of restoration that are coming to us. And specifically, I want to talk to you about eschatology. not seeing great excitement yet. Eschatology, you should be like, praise the Lord, eschatology. Why? Because eschatology is the study of the end times, the study of the last thing or the last things. Eschatology is, is great stuff. And there's so much confusion out there. There's so many books, so many articles out there that will just confuse you and they're, they're, they're misleading. But if you focus on the true last things that are coming, it's, it's thrilling when we remember these things. So five quick points to remind you, okay? The first thing is this. Before the end, God provides for us in this life. Before the end, God provides for us in this life. And we want to remember this from the story in 2 Kings. God's providence is all over our lives. In the end, Jesus will return, but he hasn't returned yet, so, so we need to wait. But in this, as we wait in this life, God provides for us. God raised the Shunammite's woman's son and kept providing for her over and over again. And of course, he provided for her when the famine came. That's God's heart. He's a provider. And you can be thankful for even in your dark days, God has provided for you physically. He has provided for you relationally. He has provided for you in the body of Christ. He's given you miracles, only some of which you've actually seen. And God is with us. God's word says to us very clearly, fear not, I am with you. Jesus, when he leaves for heaven, he says what? He says, surely I will be with you until the very end of the age. God's Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus is for us. God will provide for us. That's number one. Number two, before the end, God will provide for us in death. Before the end, God will provide for us in death. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says that Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that is, alive or dead, we might live with him. Some of you are nervous about dying. Honestly, I am. Uh, but here's the thing. When you die, if you die before Jesus comes back, I should say, if you die, you will be protected. Jesus will protect you in death because he said he's not going to abandon you. And he said that, that his love is stronger than death. So that means that if you die, you will be protected by Jesus. Indeed, you'll go to be with Jesus, the New Testament says. To be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. So indeed, you will go to be with Jesus, and you will sleep in Christ. And the Bible speaks about this in different ways. And a lot of Christians have grown accustomed to calling this going to heaven. Um, I think I should clarify this just a little bit. Indeed, when, when we die... We Christians will go to be with Jesus, and since Jesus is in heaven, then we go to heaven. But please understand what heaven is. Heaven is a safe refuge for us, but it is not our eternal destination. It is a blessed place of waiting, but the end has not come yet. Heaven is only the intermediate state, to use a technical term. It is the in-between. It's the intermediate state. But it is not our final destination. 
And I know this cuts across the expectations that you may have heard from other teachers. But I think the Bible is pretty clear here. We are not supposed to be in heaven forever. And, and if this is kind of confusing you right now, let me tell you about a story. Um, 2013, you remember Ice Apocalypse? Remember when all the, the freezing rain came and it's all over the branches? Well, we had a huge branch take out our power lines. And for about five days, we were without power. And so I was getting nervous about this. But one of my colleagues, uh, Gary Strickland, said, hey, why don't you come live with us? And so we stayed at the Stricklands for five days. And this was like a day spa. Like, it was amazing. They, they had a basement for us, prepared for us. We got to read all their books and, you know, go through their video collection. And it was just very nice. And they were so sweet. We'd come up every single morning. They're like, good morning, sunshine. Would you like some pancakes? <laughs> yes, yes, I would. Um, and, and in many ways, the Stricklands was like heaven. But here's the thing, folks. As awesome as our experience was, I still wanted to go home. And I think this is what it's like in heaven. That if you die, you will go to heaven in your dead form, your soul. I don't know how to explain that. But, but you'll go there and you'll be with Jesus. And you'll be like, Jesus, here we are in the presence of the Lord. And there will be you know, other uh, dead saints around. And you know, you'll worship and you'll see God. And it will be amazing. And yet you'll still be like, I, I still want to go home. Let me show it to you in scripture real quick. Because I know, I know this is stretching it for, for some of you. Look in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and following. We don't have many pictures of what goes on in heaven, but here's one of them. John says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These martyrs, these are like the saintliest saints. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're agitated. That's not the picture we, we think of, right? When you talk about heaven, people who are at peace, perfect peace, perfect bliss. And yet look, verse 11 then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They're told to wait. I know you're agitated, but wait. And, and here are white garments to take care of you. Um, hang out here in the spa. <laughs> I, used to, I used to make fun of spas. I used to be like, I'm like you know, what are wussy men getting manicured and pedicured and whatever. Well, I had my first pedicure, I got to tell you, pretty awesome. <laughs> Sit in the hot tub and all that stuff, no, no problem with the spa. But you still want to go home. For those with ears to hear, the seven years in Philistia is an allegory of heaven. God will provide for us in death. Number three, at the end, our bodies will be restored. At the end, when Jesus returns, our bodies will be restored. The Bible is clear that when Jesus returns, he will raise the dead, and the dead will be truly physical. 
that the dead who have been kept safe in heaven will actually be raised from the dead, they will come to life, and they will be truly bodily again. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, says Romans 8.23. The redemption of our bodies. These are bodies that are going to rise whole. They will be perfectly healed bodies, filled with the Holy Spirit, made to live forever. And just as Jesus rose in his self-same body, the exact same body he was crucified in, he rose in that body too, a perfectly healed, glorified body, so too you will rise in your own flesh. This is one of the greatest mysteries, I think, of our faith, that somehow God is going to pull us back together again and and through the power of the Holy Spirit glorify us and and we'll, we'll, we'll have this body forever. And you go, really? This knows? You know, God will restore your body. You are made to live in a body. But sometimes our imagination for our bodies is not that great. We imagine what heaven is like, but we don't spend a whole lot of time imagining how amazing it could be to be in a body. Some of you have been in chronic pain for so long, you have forgotten how good it feels to live in a body. Some of you have just forgotten what it means to be lucid. Have you ever ever had those lucid moments? It just is clear-headedness. I can't wait to be in a resurrection body and, and, and not need two cups of coffee to get there. <laughs> and, and what else is God going to give us in a resurrection body? How will we move around and transport ourselves? What kind of joys and pleasures will be available to us? Can I, can I fly with the bald eagles over the Big Sioux River? I kind of want to. <laughs> just, just putting in a request right now. I don't know, but we, we don't have good imagination about bodies because we think of them as being limiting. But no, that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be here in the body. And God will restore our bodies because God restores the things that are lost. Number four. I feel I need to throw this in. I'm not sure why, but I feel I need to throw this in. At the end, our reputations will be restored. At the end, our reputations will be restored. The Bible teaches that at the end, when Jesus returns, there will be a final judgment. There's a last judgment. The Shunammite woman's hearing before the king is a beautiful picture of what it'll be like for us. We will be judged. 1 Peter 4, 5 says that God is ready to judge the living and the dead, but we don't need to fear this judgment. If you're a believer in Jesus, you get to come before the Father, and you get justified. You get declared righteous. As we come before the great white throne, we will discover that Jesus is already talking about us. He's already vouching for us. And because of Jesus, we will be found worthy. And he will take away our shame. And he will take away the injustice that has been said about us. He will take away the hatred that has been um, thrown at us. And he will restore our honor. And maybe I'm feeling this because Christians are being maligned more and more all over the world. It's not just Sri Lanka. All over the world, Christians are being attacked and maligned. But you don't need to fear that because Jesus will restore your reputation. And number five, finally. At the end, the things of earth will be restored. At the end, the things of earth will be restored. 
The Bible says God will make a new heavens and a new earth, and we will dwell forever on the earth. A new earth. A forever earth. And the Bible says that God will purify, he will refine this earth, but he really will make the earth again. It will be this earth. And listen here. It's not just simply that you receive your bodies back. Friends, you will live on this earth forever. This earth, purified, refined, but here forever. And you know who else will be on this earth forever? Jesus Christ will. Because he came in the flesh, he lived in the flesh, he died in the flesh, he rose in the flesh, he ascended to heaven in the flesh, and he's coming back from heaven in the flesh. Jesus wants to be here too. This is now his home. And, and, and Jesus does not want us to be thinking about how can I die to go to heaven? How can I go to heaven? How can I go? You know what he's thinking about? How can I bring heaven to earth? How can I bring heaven to earth? He wants to bring heaven down here. He, want, he longs to come back here because this is his home now too. And he desires to bring back the saints here. We're supposed to be here. The kingdom of heaven on earth. And there's, it's going to be an incredible thing. As I read the scriptures, I'm just blown away. It describes a restored earth in Revelation 21. It says that I saw the new Jerusalem descending like a bride, um, adorned for her husband, coming down from the sky, heaven down to earth. And it's this gorgeous city with rivers and f- fruit trees and... Lots of gold, apparently, in this amazing city. But then it goes on. The whole earth will be restored. It'll be fruitful and pristine. Isaiah 65 describes it teeming with animals, yet all of them peaceful. It's like we get to live in a zoo. (laughs) And my kids say, amen. (laughs) It will be a place of restoration where the things that have been lost through war, the things that have been lost through economic downturns, the things that have been lost through all sorts of awfulness on this earth, that will be restored. And every man will sit under his own vine. And I say this all to say that the earth is our inheritance. This earth is not a throwaway thing. It's our inheritance. It's ours. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5, 5? The meek shall inherit the earth. Not heaven. The meek shall inherit the earth. This is ours. This is our earth. You get this, folks. You get all this stuff restored to you. All the things that, that you love, all the things that are, that are noble and right and pure and, and joy-giving, they belong to you. It's your inheritance. The meek shall inherit the earth. It's your inheritance, and so I ask you, why are you acting like it's not? Why do you have your fingers sunk into everything with this death grip? Because you've got to hold on to your car, because it's your baby, and your house. You work so hard to accumulate things to get funds in your retirement 401k and, you, and, you, and, you, and, and your boat and you've you got to get all this stuff and you've got to have and you've got to hold on to it and you've got to insure it and you've got to do all this stuff and you're thinking about this all the time and consumed with it. Why? It's not that those things are bad. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to enjoy these things. But they're your inheritance. They belong to you. And it's not just that. It's the other stuff too. 
And I have to repent too because I look at properties and I look at these huge acreages and I go, oh yeah. yeah that's, that's mine. Yeah, it is mine. It is my inheritance, but that doesn't mean I need to be stressing out about it all the time. How to get more land, how to get more property, how to get more money. The meek shall inherit the earth. God is a restorer, and you may trust that the precious things will be given back to you on Resurrection Day. God restores the things that are lost. And truly, there's more. Remember that the Shunammite woman had things restored to her that she did not even work for. There is grace upon grace for you, brothers and sisters, so wait in confidence. Wait for the promise of God. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Remember that. Pastor Bill. What a timely and great message. For anyone, but in particular, for Life Church. Nathan has just preached to you exactly the heart of God. You heard it. God restores the things that are lost. Hold on to that. Walk with that. But I'm going to ask you to respond to that this morning. I don't know your story. I, I don't need to know your story. None of us do. But you have one. And your story may be one of those stories that Nathan mentioned, a hard story. A place where you felt something and it didn't feel like God, it didn't feel like his love. And maybe in that you had to try to make yourself a safe place. You're trying really hard now to make yourself a safe place and all these things that you're after and that you're doing are for that purpose of trying to make that safe place. And perhaps you've let people define you. Perhaps you've let them convince you that death is the way to look at life. Maybe people have defined you as one that doesn't have a hope, doesn't have a future, doesn't have joy, doesn't have peace. This is what your enemy, Satan, would love to do. He would love to exile you. He would love to give you a reason to go away and to hide yourself away and to stay there and convince you that that is actually the safe place, that place that is alone where no one can get to you. And in that place, he would love to keep you because there you won't have the things that God intends for you to have and that God intends to give back to you in his kingdom and in his work. But Jesus, but Jesus came for you and I to be restored. Restored in that identity so we know who we really are. Restored in those things of this earth so that we no longer put our trust in them, but our trust is in Him. And restore into you a hope that it is not over here or finished here, but there is a hope beyond this place, and that is that Jesus is coming again. And when He does, God will restore all things but Jesus. Jesus is our hope. 
And God does provide in this life. If you're one of those individuals today and you walked in here and you're like, oh my goodness, I've never had that hope. I've never put my trust in this Jesus that Nathan just preached about. Today is a day to do this. This is the time for you to find life and hope in Christ. And if you've walked in an identity that has drained you in this life, today is your day. Today you can receive your identity that is truly in Christ and Christ alone. And if you've lived this life, but in this life you found that you have not lived out this wonderful hope of the resurrection, and even your life in Christ has been just mediocre or just down there on the baseline, today you can flourish. Today you can begin to grow in this reality of the resurrection, its power and its hope for your life. You can do this. Prayer team, I want you to come right now quickly and just come and stand up here with me in the front. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. The musicians and singers are coming as well. But this is just a moment for you. It's a moment for you to just quiet yourself and let the Holy Spirit speak the life of this message that Nathan has proclaimed to you. Nathan shared it. Nathan preached it. Nathan taught it. Nathan proclaimed it, but now the Holy Spirit wants to implant it and infuse it into your life, your mind, your heart, your soul. And if you're one of those people who identifies with the things that I've just described to you, this is your moment to receive prayer and to be renewed in the hope of the resurrection. So as we sing, would you come? Would you please come and let someone just pray with you? All right. You can find someone beside you who will pray with you. You can pray together for one another. You can get in a small group and pray together. But we want you. We want you to come and experience the gospel this morning. And that is the hope of Jesus Christ in the resurrection and his return. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we ask you for the release of the Holy Spirit to do this powerful work in each of our hearts. Renew us today. Restore in us the hope of the resurrection. Put in us the reality and the truth that you, God, restore the things that are lost. And let us grab hold of that reality in this moment. And as we sing to you, God, let us touch you. And may you touch us. And may we come in the power of the Holy Spirit to the place of resurrection. God, restore all things that have been lost for your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing unto the Lord.